0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ALN Academy podcast. In our previous masterclass, Amin Musa provided an introduction to project finance and its fundamental distinctions from corporate financing. And we looked at two case studies that put the topic in context. The objective of today's masterclass is to introduce to a greater extent the typical types of financial documents that would be involved in a project finance transaction. This masterclass is part of a series of virtual training that the ALN Kenya Projects and Infrastructure Department has prepared on public private partnerships and project finance. Ian Gaita is a partner at Anjarwalankana. He's a corporate commercial lawyer with over 10 years of experience. His practice focuses on mergers and acquisitions, private equity transactions, and joint ventures, both in the UAE and cross-border transactions with a sub-Saharan Africa focus. I am pleased to introduce to you Ian Gaita.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to today's session. My name is Ian Kaitamo, I'm a partner in the project's practice at uh, Anjawala and Kana. We thank you once again for joining us for this series of uh, webinars focusing on project development, and project finance, and uh, PPPs. In the last session, we, lo- we introduced PPPs in the context of infrastructure development projects, We also introduced the concept of uh, risk allocation in PPPs and project finance. And we also contrasted PPP procurement to traditional forms of uh, procurement. We also looked at the various forms or models of PPP contracts. And lastly, we introduced project finance and contrasted it with traditional corporate finance. So, today we want to introduce equity structuring in the context of PPPs or project finance transactions. As we we mentioned last time, is that the financing for a project will typically involve both debt and equity. Today we want to focus on the equity structuring piece of it. So, what you'll see on your screen there is a model that highlights the typical structure that you have as far as equity is concerned. You will in the the initial stage have a joint development agreement, which is essentially an agreement between parties who want to develop a project together to regulate their relationship and how they will go about developing the project. Um, this will, will, will typically be in place before the detailed subscription and shareholders agreement has been developed and become effective. Um, and so there'll also obviously be the debt piece from the external financiers. So our, our focus today is on the equity, and we will start by looking at the key equity documents, which is the agreement, and then we'll also look at the shareholders' agreements. So let us now turn to the joint development agreement. As I mentioned, the joint development agreement is an agreement between two or more parties who want to collaborate to develop a project and to regulate their investment in the project for a period of time, typically from the inception of the project until financial close, um, where the parties would have finalized their underlying equity documents. um, And then those would then become the, the documents that govern their relationship as equity parties in the project. And so the purpose of the Joint Development Agreement or JDA for short, is to record the commercial agreements between the parties with respect to how they intend to collaborate in the development of the project and to regulate their relationship as interested parties during the project's development. It also then lays a groundwork for the underlying equity agreements for the subscription and the shareholder's agreement, which will then come into force at a later stage of the project. It also then lays a groundwork for the underlying equity and what are some of the key issues that parties would be concerned about while structuring their their JDAs and recording what has been agreed in the JDA? Some of the preliminary considerations that parties need to flesh out are, for example, what are the objectives of the parties? What does each party bring to the table, if you will? Because, for instance, there will be those parties who are simply Finance parties, but will not necessarily be be involved in the actual development of the project. There will be those parties who are more involved operationally and will be the ones developing the project. And therefore, they may they may have an equity or financial contribution as well, or their contribution may be purely in the actual operation or development of the project at that uh, early stage. Again, how much control should each of the parties, given their relative contributions, have during the project's development? Which decisions should be subject to approval by the other party? Which decisions can, particularly the party who is mainly the development party or responsible for the development, which type of decisions can that party make without needing the approval or consultation with the other party? or parties and what are the obligations of each party, uh, both the developing party and perhaps the the more passive finance party with respect to the project development uh, at that stage and what protections are available to the other party if those obligations are not um, fulfilled. And then an important question to think about at that early stage is what is, the ultimate objective of the parties. Do they intend to develop the project and then sell their interest to a third party later or to, or exit from the project? Or do they intend to then own the project on a long-term basis and continue to operate the project after it has been developed and after financial close? And so to summarize, some the key areas that that are typically of concern are the funding as we mentioned what is each party bringing to the table to the extent one or some of the parties are bringing sweat to the table rather than money then how is that recognized to the management and oversight of the project who is responsible for what aspects of the project development and which decisions require all parties to be consulted or to to consent to certain decisions, which decisions can be taken by one party or some of the parties without necessarily consulting with the others. Another key aspect is exclusivity. You want to make sure that, for example, if you are then entering into an arrangement with a party who's a project developer and may have other interests, in, 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 in other projects, that those are disclosed. And ideally, you want to make sure that if, for example, some of those interests might be interests that conflict with um, the proposed investment in the current project, then you consider whether there should be some stipulations around what can or cannot be done by the parties with respect to other uh, projects. So, for example, if you're developing a project at a site where within proximity of that site, there's another project that could conflict, and not necessarily conflict in the sense that it's a, it's a competitor project, but also simply because, for instance, if, if say, there's a wind farm that you're looking to develop, and then there's another proximate site not too far from there, and which may then have actual technical impact on, 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 on the project you're, you're seeking to develop, should you then have some restrictions around how proximate that um, competing project should be to the projects you're looking to develop. Um, and then around that also is, is things around who the other parties can bring to the table, uh, be it from a concern around such matters as restricted parties or sanctioned parties, and other commercial sensitivities that some of the parties may have. So it's important that those things are properly before early and uh, discussed and recorded appropriately in the joint development agreement so that then at the point of equity subscription, you are not um, having debates or disputes around some of these issues. Then of course some of the other issues that will come to play is, for instance, Under what circumstances can a party withdraw or exit from the JDA? And what should be the consequences of such exit? Um, And part of that would also be forced exit in the context of a breach of uh, obligations by one of the parties. And of course, projects of this nature tend to be complex. And um, despite the best interests of the parties, sometimes disputes are inevitable. And therefore, it's important for the parties to consider how disputes arising under the JDA are to be resolved. And um, what you, you sometimes see is that that can involve two levels of dispute resolution. One that is internal to the joint venture, if you will, and that is, for example, parties setting up either a board or even a committee within that structure to try to resolve disputes in the first instance. And if that internal mechanism does not yield a resolution, then how do the parties then take the dispute to a third party for resolution? Be that arbitration, be that the courts, be that a mediated process, uh, or indeed depending on the nature of the dispute, Uh, an expert determination. So then fairly quickly, when it comes to matters of, of funding, what you want to set out very clearly is what each party brings to the table. And as we mentioned, where some of the contribution by one of the parties is not cash, but is in kind, then it's it's important that that is clearly recorded and the terms of that in-kind contribution and what it actually means in terms of eventual equity down the line is uh, well set out. Often you will find that one or some of the parties are the ones funding the development costs and they'll typically be some sort of loan to the project company or another method by which the financing being provided by one of the parties, the JDA, is, is recorded uh, uh, and the terms of such financing are, are clearly specified and how that party then may recover its um, the amount it has funded uh, in the event of a default or indeed how that financing then translates to future equity. In terms of management and oversight of the project, because at this stage you're not necessarily shareholders in an in, in, in a company this would be more in the nature of what we call contractual joint ventures and therefore typically whereas in, in in a corporate joint venture you will have a board structure as your primary form of governance at this stage what you have then is some sort of management committee or project committee as sometimes, tends to be the phrase used, that then functions more or less like a board in in the context of a corporate uh, joint venture. And so when you're structuring your governance structures around the management committee or the project committee, some of the things you need to think about is how do we appoint representatives of the different parties to that committee? And how do we remove them? Uh, whether voluntarily or in the event of an issue with respect to to that representative? What are the different roles of the different members of that uh, management team or or project committee? How do decisions get made? How are meetings structured uh, for that uh, project committee? And again, just going back to what we mentioned earlier, what um, decisions may require a higher level of consultation uh, and which ones can then be made by that project committee without necessarily directly consulting the, the equity parties or uh, share, eventual shareholders. So we've already discussed exclusivity. Uh, the other point I want to mention in, in a bit more detail is termination. As I mentioned, it's important to specify the circumstances in which one party may terminate the joint development agreement. And some of those would typically include things like if there's um, a change of control that has not been authorized. um, For instance, then one party may, may wish to exit, particularly because, as we mentioned earlier, if that change in control then results in Another party to the joint development agreement being a party that that other party simply cannot do business with, either for commercial reasons or indeed legal reasons such as sanctions, then you want to be able to exit at that stage. Other reasons could, for example, be the insolvency of the other party or its parent company and then breach related um, events. In addition to grounds for termination, then it's always essential then to set out and and clarify what should the consequences of that termination be. As we mentioned earlier, if for instance, you are the party that has been funding development costs and there's a, a loan agreement relating to that development cost funding, then what should happen in that instance? Would that then translate to an acceleration of that loan, and and how do you recover your your money back? To the extent then there's already shares that has been that have been granted in a project company, then should the sh- should that termination then trigger a, a a transfer an obligation to transfer those shares by the defaulting party? We also mentioned dispute resolution and um, the, the kinds of escalations that we, so we dispute internally first, through some mechanism that we have set out, and then recourse to external mechanisms, be that mediation, be that an expert determination, uh, or be that an outright arbitration or, or a court process. Um, we will not go into the pros and cons of each of those. Uh, I believe many of you will be familiar with the arguments for or against each of those mechanisms, uh, but we can certainly elaborate on that in, in, in future sessions. So that gives you, in a nutshell, the an overview of what joint development agreements are intended to achieve. And as we say, they are a precursor to the main either share purchase or subscription, and the shareholder's agreements. And at this stage, we will then turn to share purchase and share subscription agreements, uh, which are, in principle, the documents by which then the parties acquire their equity interests in the project SPV. So... The distinction there being in that in a purchase, you're buying shares from an existing shareholder. In a subscription, you're not buying shares from an existing shareholder, but you're being allotted shares in the company, by the company itself. But in terms of the key commercial provisions and um, key terms, they are broadly similar. Uh, And so, We will now turn to looking at some of the key considerations that um, should, should be on top of your minds as you're structuring and negotiating your share purchase or subscription agreements. Some of the key considerations will be with respect to the conditions precedent, to the agreements becoming effective, and also to the completion of the equity investment. And those would range from commercial conditions precedent relating to, for example, development milestones with respect to the project and other commercial points. Some of those conditions precedent will also be regulatory in nature. For instance, antitrust or competition approvals that uh, typically may be required to be obtained. Other conditions press regulatory conditions precedent, for example, relate to key authorizations from regulators such as in the case of um, energy projects, then you would typically require that your offtake agreements and other agreements are approved by the relevant um, energy regulator in your jurisdiction. And so those would typically form part of the conditions precedent uh, to a a party then subscribing to shares in the project SPV. And then some of the other conditions precedent we we, you typically see is around issues such as material adverse changes, uh, given how long it takes to develop a project. Sometimes parties would want to make sure that although they've committed to an investment, That if there's a change in in circumstances that is so material, uh, and that may not necessarily be predicated on a breach by the the other parties, but there's such a change of circumstances such that um, it it, it forces the other party to reconsider the economic consequences of the investment, then um, those are things that ideally should be written into the documents so that parties are clear under what circumstances such rights can be exercised and as far as possible to try and minimise disputes around those issues down the line. And obviously the other point is is consideration and that is simply price. At what price will the parties be subscribing for shares in the project company or in the holding company? which in, in turn will own the project company. And in addition to that, it will be questions even around where do we struggle? Where do we ha- have our um, holding company located? Um, typically it tends to be offshore, and it's important then to have that discussion early enough at the point of the JDA, so that parties understand where, at what point, what, what level they will be investing, and then take advice particularly with regard to the tax implications of that investment in an offshore company, and not just at the point of entry, but also at the point of any possible exit down the road, what um, different jurisdictions in terms of holding company jurisdictions may mean for an exit by that party.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. In our next masterclass, we will discuss in-depth shareholder agreements, their key clauses and provisions to consider when developing a shareholder agreement. Ian Gaita, partner at ALN Kenya and will take us through this matter. Please remember to subscribe to our ALN Academy podcast to receive notifications when we upload new episodes. See you in our next episode. Bye!